Well, good morning, and welcome to Hope Lower Town. Glad you're able to make it here this morning, and and uh, if you're checking out, checking us out for the first time, uh, just want to give a special welcome to you as well. And uh, thanks for thanks for being here. Um, the clock is wrong, which is a this is like the best day in the year. You guys, I don't the clock right. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is a great day, right? I mean, we all get an extra hour of sleep. It's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's great. And if you're a parent, it's actually a good day, too, because that just means your kids get up earlier uh, as opposed to spring forward, uh, which is, I mean, I'm pretty sure the devil created daylight savings. I don't know what in the world and why we do that, but uh, it is not of this world. Um, I can tell you that. Um, I had last week off, which was great. Um, I was still able to be here, but uh, Pastor Drew was here, and he was able to preach the seventh week on where we've been and as far as Nehemiah, and so uh, we're just going to pick right up uh, where he left off, and we're just going to keep keep this uh, keep this train rolling. Um, I do have one announcement, something I'm, I'm looking forward to. Uh, a few of us got together, and we kind of talked about this, and and uh, we decided that, that at least once a quarter, uh, we're actually going to do something a little differently around here, at least as far as a Sunday morning is concerned. And we're going to do something a little bit more, uh, and, I, and I, for lack of, I don't even know what to say, but for lack of, uh, I don't know, a, a more liturgical Sunday or high church Sunday or a creed Sunday, not like the band, like... Um, like apostles, creeds, that kind of thing, but but explain why we do these things. I think that we, um, in our in our at least denomination or our church specifically, at hope that that we have communion, that we have the Lord's Supper, which is this this sacred sacrament that that we have, and we take of this meal every single week, which is fantastic. But I think that we get a little bit laxed in how we do certain things, and so I just want to spend a little bit more time uh, explaining it and 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 corporate confession, that kind of thing. But then also music. Uh, we're actually just going to bust out. This, uh, these pipes behind me, uh, all 7,000 of them. I don't know if you can play all 7,000 at one time. But uh, anyways, just playing the organ and piano, getting back to some old classical hymns, explaining why we're doing that, uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. And so we're just going to do that once a quarter. And so, you know, if people are visiting for the first time, we'll make sure that, you know, we clarify, hey, this isn't typically what we do. Um, but I just want to, there's, there's a lot of history and a lot of really good church history in, in why we do what we do. And so I just want to be able to explain that um, as, as we every once in a while uh, just go a little old school and, uh, and look at um, uh, really why we do what we do. All right, so we are in week eight of Nehemiah, and, um, and uh, this is not the right uh, passage, not even close. I think we're in chapter 12. I apologize. Uh, this should be chapter 12, but we're, gonna, we're really just going to read through it. Um, and so there's not a, not a whole lot... Um, uh, that we need to really focus on specifically in this passage in, in chapter 12. But I want to just give a quick recap, a little bit of context as we've been going through Nehemiah, uh, that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He was kind of second in command uh, with uh, the Persian Empire underneath Artaxerxes I, Artaxerxes the Great. And there are going to be multiple times, even in today's passage, where they don't refer to Artaxerxes the Great, uh, that he is just a man, and yet there is Yahweh, there is God the Great. Um, and, and so we're, we're gonna, Nehemiah asks Artaxerxes, can we go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall? The city's in ruins, and, and so he gives them permission, and he goes back as the governor. They start rebuilding the walls. Ezra, who is a contemporary, he's a prophet who wrote the book of Ezra, comes and he kind of inter, interacts with Nehemiah in this book, and he, and he reads from the law, which is what Drew looked at last week. And so the wall is rebuilt, and they're celebrating. They're, they're in, a, in a time of rejoicing, and yet they know even though the walls are built, there's still something missing. 
Even though they're in the promised land, they know something's still not quite right with the situation. And so that's really where we're going to be uh, today. So I'm going to start, and, I'm, and I'm, this chapter, again, chapter 12, uh, is, is starting verse 1, says this, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. It's simply, um, when you would do that, the sackcloth is just kind of a, a just you know, think of burlap or wearing like a, a coffee bag. Uh, it's just simply just, there's nothing uh, uh, attractive about it. It's not necessarily to be painful or, or, to, or anything like that. It was really just to say, hey, there, I have nothing to offer and, and I don't want anything to be distracting about me, even my clothing. And so I'm just going to wear this drab, plain thing. And then putting dust on their heads, they put dust or ashes. And the whole point of that is just a time of mourning, of reflection, of saying I was, I was born, I was created out of the dust, and I want to go back to being that dust. And so they're, they're mourning because they weren't obeying the law that Ezra had just read. Verse 2, those of the Israelite... Uh, uh, descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. Uh, in other words, if they were um, uh, intermarried or those kinds of things, that reading the law as they were instructed, they were not to intermarry. They were supposed to remain uh, Jews. And so they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to separate all these different things and we're going to get back to the way that the law commands. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they, where they were and they read from the book of the law of Yahweh their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter uh, in confession and in worshiping to Yahweh their God. All right, so half the day, half the day they're together, that they are reading, they are praying, they are confessing and worshiping God. And standing on the stairs with the Levites uh, were uh, Jeshua, Bani, uh, Kemetel, uh, Shabiah, uh, Buni, uh, Bunny, <laughs> uh, Shebaniah, Bani. Bani is a really popular name, apparently, uh, back then. There's three of them right here. Uh, and they cried out with the loud voices to Yahweh their God and Levites. And then he lists all the names again and says, and then basically what they're going to do, if you are unfamiliar at all with the history of Israel, that's really the rest of the chapter. But they're going to go all the way back to the beginning, and they're going to recount the entire history of Israel up until the point where they are writing or where they're standing, where they're, where they're reading of, from this book from Nehemiah. And really what they're doing and what we're going to be spending a lot of our time looking at and reflecting on today is what is called Ebenezer. Right, and we sing it in a hymn, and we're actually going to sing that at the end of the service. But this idea of Ebenezer, and I know everyone's thinking, right, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And, and what are their names again? Marley and... Oh, Marley and Marley. <laughs> I was half right. Uh, yeah, Marley and Marley, right? And, and, these, and these ghosts, uh, and this is from the Muppets uh, Christmas Carol, uh, which is was just classic, right? And so that's kind of why I wanted Paul to think, maybe there's something you think from your childhood that just sparks uh, memories or your imagination. And, and, uh, and actually, when I was in high school, we did the Christmas Carol, um, except it was a Christian school. And so at the end, um, Ebenezer Scrooge gets saved, which I'm pretty sure is very against the law um, to change copyright. But but uh, either way, uh, that's what we did. And so, <laughs> anyways, that's not what I mean by Ebenezer. I don't mean Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, what I mean by Ebenezer is simply this. It's, it's simply a stone of remembrance. And this happens multiple times throughout the history of the Israelites, that when they would cross the Red Sea, that when the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry land, all these different times, God says, or Moses or Joshua says, go and grab large stones, and I want you to bring them back, and I want you to build this mount, this, this pillar of stones. And so that way, when your children come by and they say, why are these stones here? You can tell them, this is why these stones are here, because God did this amazing thing. 
And so this is an Ebenezer. It's a, it's a stone of remembrance. It's a sign of remembrance so that when we look at this thing, it should be a flood of emotions that come back and remembering exactly what God did. And that's why I talked about like our childhood. And I feel like every, every, anything right now that's popular, if you're a millennial right now, holy smokes, are they trying to reach out to our generation right now? And, and every, every movie's being remade, um, right? Lion King and Aladdin. And, and if you're younger uh, millennial, they even have Dora the Explorer, I guess, is a thing now. Uh, that they're remaking all these different things to appeal to us. And, and it does bring back all these emotions, right? I, I'm hoping, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm still hoping that Mufasa um, lives uh, in the remake, right? Because that was terrible as a child. Why would you make a child watch Mufasa die? It doesn't make any sense. Um, so I'm assuming they, they fixed that. Um, even things like Stranger Things or, or whatever, just there's so many things that are trying to go retro to make us just pull on our heartstrings. And it does. There's just something about seeing those things. And, and so I wanna, I'm going to give you, show you a couple pictures of my office and and just some Ebenezers that I have in my office. And so, um, uh, not the books, don't mind the books, but there's this picture that I have right front and center there that uh, a friend of mine drew, and, it's, and I've showed it here before, but it looks like a skull with a snake uh, weaving its way in the skull, and its head is being then crushed by the feet of Jesus on the cross. And that is an Ebenezer. It reminds me of Genesis 3.15, that all the way at the, back at the beginning of the Bible, as soon as humanity fell into sin, God said, I'm going to send you a promise, and I'm going to send you a Messiah, and he's going to redeem all of mankind. I have a picture of my dad, and my dad and me, again, he passed away when I was, I was 14, and I just remember him. He was, he was a great pastor. He was a great dad, and it makes, motivates me, and I've got a picture of my wife, my little boy, Henry, uh, there, and um, all these different things, and I just, I just remember, right? It kind of keeps me in check, and it's just sitting there in front of me uh, continually, um, to my right, um, I have a, uh, a couple other pictures right in the wall there. One is this, like a, a stupid, ginormous, large uh, diploma. So when people walk in, they're like, ooh, look at this guy. But, but I want to remember that, right? I want to remember that, hey, I, I, I worked my tail off uh, to go to school, and I'm not even necessarily the greatest student, um, but I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that achievement. I've got a little picture on the, on the bookshelf there of, of Mario when he's wearing the raccoon suit. It's got a name. What's the name of the raccoon suit? What is it? Tanuki? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I knew it had a name. I just couldn't remember it. Um, and then I've got two other pictures. One of them is, is uh, just a fond memory of me. It's actually from the Grand Ole Opry. I've never really been to a, a concert before, and the, really the first one I went to was at the Grand Ole Opry, and I heard some amazing people were there. I didn't know who any of them were, uh, right? So Darius Rucker, I uh, heard him. Uh, Martina McBride was there, Vince Gill, um, and there's a couple other people that if I said them, if you were into that, you'd probably know, but I had no idea who they were. And I went with Steve, my boss, Pastor Steve from downtown Minneapolis, and and we, we, we were, we were, he was trying to scalp tickets. Apparently you can't scalp tickets at the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, we went in and, they, and someone, the, the show had started and there was two seats that just became available. So we bought the seats and we sat down just front and center it was, and it was fantastic. But Vince Gill gets up there and sings this song and it was just after Pastor Steve's dad had died and it was about Vince Gill's dad who had just died and we're just sobbing, right? We're, we're sitting there and it's this great, awesome moment in the Grand Ole Opry and we're both just weeping, right? Thanks, Vince Gill. And so I, I look at that and I have all that flood of emotion that comes back. And there's a little, can't really see it, but a little calligraphy uh, picture there that is 
a poem my dad wrote that, that uh, uh, he turned into a Christmas play, um, and it's called Lord Bless My Family. And as I sit that, I can't help but pray that, that poem, that prayer, and think of my boys and my wife, and, and, and that's my Ebenezer. And, and then to the left, um, I've got a picture of Lower Town on our first day when we, when we opened these doors, and what, a, what a, a monumentous moment that was for me. I have my dad's Bible, um, and I've got a, a golf trophy, the one and only golf trophy I will ever win. And, um, and I just reminds me of good times, right? When I got really lucky um, and it had nothing to do with me. It was uh, other people that I was playing with that one. Uh, and then behind me, almost blasphemous uh, shrine to Martin Luther. All right, these are just kind of all his, all of his works. And I don't have a picture of him. All right, I don't, I don't pray to him or anything, but but I do enjoy reading uh, Luther when I have the chance. All right, so so that those are my Ebenezer's. And when I when I look at them, when I see these things again, all all these emotions come back. And then I am reminded of then what we looked at even last week when Pastor Drew was talking and preaching about the booths, right? There's all these booths and this festival of the booths and what in the world is that all about? And so um, this is something they still do today, the Israelites, that they actually will still celebrate this. And and really what this is, when you have these these little huts, these little um, booths that are are set outside of their house that for, I, I forget how long, a week, that they're not to live in their own dwelling. They actually as a family, will live on this little, you know, hut on top of their house or on their balcony or out in the alleyway there, as you can see. And, and it's obviously crowded. It, it's got to be an inconvenience. And the whole point of this, as they're being inconvenienced, is to remember what their ancestors went through 5,000 years ago. That as they were out in the wilderness, and, and, and we just walked through this in the book of Exodus, but as they're out there traveling through the wilderness, that they're in these tents, they're in these little booths, and they're to remember that. And, and so, so this festival of booths is an Ebenezer. It is a something that we can do to remember, all right? And so what, what Nehemiah is going to do here, at least in the book, is they're just going to be a, a, just Ebenezers everywhere. This is just to remember all of what God has done in the past. And so uh, I'm just going to read through this, the rest of the chapter. He says, stand up. You don't need to stand up. It's kind of kind of lengthy. And so I'm just going to read through this. And, and again, this is just, again, if you're not familiar with the history of Israel, and, and which is also our history uh, as the church, I want you to just, just, just listen to what, what they say here. Stand up and praise Yahweh your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. It may be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are Yahweh, and you made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry hosts. Right? They're going back to creation. You created everything, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are Yahweh God, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, And you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Gerashites. And you have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all of his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day, right? That he did something so incredibly miraculous to deliver the Israelites from Egypt that even to this day, his name is powerful. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground, right? These are not just fairy tales. 
These are not just stories. This really happened. They walked through it on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into the mighty waters. Day uh, by day, you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way that they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You, you gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws to your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, right? They were hungry and bread literally came from nothing. It's unreal. That's, that's the story. That's a real story that happened to these people, to our people. And in their thirst, you brought them water from a rock. And you told them to go in and take possession of a land that you had sworn with uplifted hand to give it to them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, right? They prideful, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. This is why we Ebenezer, because we failed to remember what God does in our life. They became stiff-necked. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. God, you set them free from slavery, and yet you're going to, they want a leader to lead them so they can be slaves again under their own people. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt as he's literally writing the Ten Commandments that says, you shall not have any graven image, they go and they say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. And by day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them in their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine their way that they were to take. And you gave a good spirit to instruct them you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Shion, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. And you made their children as numerous as the stars of the sky. And you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. And their children went in and took possession, of, uh, took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in that land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands along with their kings and their peoples of the land to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things. Wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. And they ate to the full and were well nourished. And they revealed and they reveled in your great goodness. But, here they are again, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who, you had, who had warned them in order to turn back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. It's the same story over and over. And from heaven, you heard them. And your great compassion, you gave them deliver, deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. That's the book of Judges. But as soon as you were at rest... 
or soon as, excuse me, soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. And then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they would rule over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against you and your ordinances of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets that the Holy Spirit that would, would warn them as the prophets would try to teach them and, and, and preach to them to go back to God. And yet they paid no attention as you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put, to, uh, to an end, put them to an end or abandon them for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, not Artaxerxes the great, you are the only great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love. Right? They look at all these Ebenezers, and now they're saying, hey, remember how all those things were true. Now listen, remember your promises to your people. Now we are crying the same thing. You keep your covenant of love. Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardships that have come on us, on our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets and our ancestors, and all of your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully. And while we acted wick wickedly, our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes uh, that you wanted them to keep. Even while they were in the kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land that you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. And this is the last of it here. But see, something's still happening here. Even though they're in the promised land, even though the walls are built, but see, we are slaves today. Slaves in this land that you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things that it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings that you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. So that's it. That's, that's their cry as we get through this chapter of Nehemiah, as we recount the entire history, really, of Israel and some major key points that happen. And here they are crying out. And what's awesome about this is God hears them and deliverance is provided. Psych. Not true. It's not what happens, right? Who was the jerk that started doing psych back in the day? You remember that? Psych. Jerk. Not <laughs> gotcha. That's not what happens. There is no deliverance. As a matter of fact, it's 400 years of silence. That as they're there out in the wilderness, as they're crying out that Jerusalem is underneath this occupation of the Persian Empire, and that's going to change. It's going to change under the hands of the Greeks, under uh, Alexander the Great, and then it's going to go to the Romans, under Caesar, and all these different things that happen to them. And they're going to try to rebel under the Maccabean period, and they're going to they're think to the Maccabeans that they're the, the prophets, that they're the Messiah. They're going to come and set their people free from the Romans, and that doesn't happen over and over and over 400 years. There's no prophet. There's nothing. And this entire time, they're crying out, God, where are you? But the beautiful thing about this story and about our story and about where we are today 
is he doesn't stay silent. God doesn't stay silent. Jesus, Yeshua, the, the promised Messiah who's gonna come and set his people free from slavery. And it might not actually mean physical freedom from physical slavery. He brings spiritual freedom. Jesus, the promised Messiah, is born as a baby in Bethlehem. And he grows and he lives a perfect life that we should have ought to have lived and couldn't. And he does it. He's the only person who's ever lived that's been able to live that perfect life. And he's betrayed by his closest friends. His closest friends turn their backs on him. And he's crucified by his own creation. Right? Try to wrap your mind around that. That Jesus in the beginning created everything and everything that has ever been created is sustained by him and he creates humanity and it is humanity that puts him on a cross and murders him. That the creator of all is killed by his creation. He's buried, but he doesn't stay in the tomb. He rises again that he wins victory over death and the grave and then he ascends into heaven and he is waiting for that moment when the father says, now, now is the time. Go back and end all the suffering. But he waits. He's waiting now because there are still more people that need to come into the kingdom of God. There are still more people that need to be saved. And so when they said that they are slaves, because of what Jesus has done, it's no longer the case that we have been set free from slavery. Again, maybe not necessarily a physical thing, a spiritual freedom. And this is something that I say every week, and I've been doing it for quite a while now. That church, you've been set free to be free. And this is where this comes from, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. You, you have been freed to be free. Right? Doesn't that, yeah, we get it. We get it, Paul. Jesus set us free, then guess what? Be free and stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, it's our choice. I've said this a million times, if when we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. It is our choice to sin. We have been set free from that yoke of slavery, of bondage, of the law and of slavery to sin. We've been set free from that. That no longer, when, when a law is read, that I have to obey this, because if I don't obey this, God is going to send me to hell. We've been set free from that kind of living in Christ Jesus. And yet at the same time, I need to repent of my sin. I need to look at Ebenezer's and remember how I've sinned, how my people have sinned, and confess that to God. And he is just to forgive us of our sins. And yet that bondage and that yoke of slavery to sin that we don't have to keep sinning. We actually are freed of that, and it is now our choice. And so what is it that we need to remember and confess to God? You see, because there's a, there's a, a huge element of confession when we think of our Ebenezer's, because there are always two aspects of remembering. Always two aspects of remembering. There's a positive and a negative, at least when it comes to an Ebenezer. Right? And so I, I think of my diploma and I think of, ugh, right? I, I, don't, I didn't like homework. I didn't like reading. I didn't like writing papers. And yet at the same time, I'm, I'm happy that it's, that it's done. I'm happy that I have that degree. 
Right? I, I think of, uh, of even like that poem that I have on the wall and, and all these different things. It's positive, makes me think of Christmas, and yet it, remember, it makes me remember my dad in a sad way. There's, there's so many things. There's a positive and negative. And so when we look at the cross, when we look at these elements that are on these tables, when we partake of this, the body and the blood of Christ, I should remember the grace and mercy of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. And yet at the same time, I should remember that he died because of my sins. So what is it that we need to remember? And what is it that we need to confess to God? What is that yoke of slavery that you need to confess to God today? And I'm leaving that vague on purpose because it could be anything. And the thing that I need to confess and the thing that I struggle with is probably not the thing that you, could, that you struggle with. What is it that you need to confess and say, I don't want this yoke of slavery anymore because I'm choosing this and I'm done. I need to give that to you. I need to give it to God and he is going to forgive you of that. You have been set free and yet we choose to submit under a yoke that Christ already died to set us free from. So then after we confess, maybe that negative aspect of certain things, then we can remember our God and we can remember his faithfulness to his people. Because again, his, that's this story, what we just read through, this long passage of the history of Israel, that's also our story. That if you are part of the church, that he has torn down the wall of hostility, that he has taken two people groups, Jews and Gentiles, and he has grafted them together, therefore making the two one. And so their story is our story. And so as we look at these elements, we can remember what Jesus did for all of his people and his faithfulness to us, his church. In a minute, we're going to actually sing that old hymn, Come Thou Found. And I just want to read through this. And I want us to actually look at some of these words before we sing this to really think and chew on what is it exactly that we're singing and why. Because we're remembering. The first word is, here I raise my Ebenezer. Hopefully that has a new understanding for what that really means, right? I'm, I'm raising my Ebenezer. I'm remembering, right, here, uh, there by thy great help I've come. All right, I, I've, I'm here in this church under your blessing because of what you've done, and I'm going to remember that. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus, your son, sought me when I was a stranger, when I was wandering from the fold of God. I'm part of this flock, but I wasn't. I was walking away. I was wandering away from his flock. And he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. And here is this word of interpose, that he comes in between me and death and doom and destruction with his own blood. He, to rescue me from danger, stood in the way with his own precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. I had to Google that one, actually. I've sung this song, I don't know how many times. And I think we maybe understand it in context, but constrained is actually like this awkward tension. But there's an awkward tension of the fact that I'm a debtor, I'm a sinner, and yet I'm a child of grace and of the king. That there's this tension that, I, no, I, I am in debt. I, I am a sinner, and yet I am free. Let that goodness, let that truth of the grace of God be like a chain, like a fetter, and bind my wandering heart to thee. Why? Because I am prone to wander. We are all prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God that I love. So here's my heart. Take and seal it 
Seal it for thy courts above. Bind us together and make it unseparable. Here's my heart, and I want it to be yours, and I want it to be bound to yours. Seal it to thy courts above. So we're going to sing this, and we're going to Ebenezer this mess. We're going to stand up, and we're going to come forward, and we're going to actually partake of these elements of this sacrificial meal that thousands of years ago, for thousands of years, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness over 40 years, but for thousands of years, they ate something called the Passover meal. And they would remember, that was an Ebenezer, but they would remember how God freed them from slavery in Egypt. And then on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's going to start something new. Instead of eating a lamb and remembering how they were set free from slavery, physical slavery, he's going to institute a new covenant that is his body and his blood. And he's saying, I'm going to set you free from spiritual slavery, that you have been set free to be free. So the apostle Paul says this, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in Ebenezer of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And there's a positive and negative side of that, that remember the grace that he, that he gives us. And yet we remember the suffering that he endured for and because of our sins. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in Ebenezer, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so their story of the Israelites is they would have to eat of that food and remember what God did. We do the same thing. We have to viscerally remember what Jesus did for us because we are so prone to forget. We are prone to forget that it is our sin which nailed him to the cross. It is our sin that put him there, and yet he didn't stay there. He won the victory, and he has set us free. So let's be free for freedom's sake. So as gospel application, what is it about God's character that you are prone to forget? Right? We didn't really talk about God's character or attributes or however you want to call them, but what, what is it that I just don't think about? I don't, I don't think about God's character that way, that I just, I just forget, or it's not that important, or, or whatever it may be. What are we prone to forget about who God is? And then finally, what are some Ebenezers in your life? Right, maybe you need to put them up. Maybe it's a physical thing, right? Looking at this, looking at a, at a picture, or reading a poem, or, or something in your wallet, or something in your car, or whatever. Just that when you look at it, you just remember what God has done for you. That's what Ebenezers are for. So what are some Ebenezers that we can put up in your life, in your home, in your house, whatever it may be, to remember the goodness of God and what he's done? But at this time, we're actually going to remember by taking of these elements. And again, there's nothing magical about these elements. There's nothing, there's nothing about eating bread or drinking juice that's going to do something spiritual to you. And yet at the same time, it is a spiritual sacrificial meal that Jesus has commanded us to remember in this way, that we take of these elements. And, and all that I would ask is that you would be a follower of Jesus. 
If you say, yep, I, I love Jesus. I'm, I'm on team Jesus. I, I want everything to do with Jesus, but I'm a sinner. That's why we do this. We remember that it's because of Jesus and his sacrifice that we have been set free, even though we choose to go under that yoke of slavery all the time. We ask that you would just be a follower of Jesus to partake of these meals. gluten-free option on the right side over here if that is a dietary restriction for you. Will you bow your head? And as we pray and as we sing that song, I hope that it comes to new life as we give God the glory that he's due. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you that as we look at this passage that again is just story after story after story after story that you did with the Israelites that also is our story, that they're not just stories. They're real. And over and over and over again, you showed yourself faithful to your people. And yet now here we are, your people. And God, we are crying out. We are crying out on an individual level. Forgive us of our sins. We're crying out on an individual level of we just need your help. We just need to feel your presence, whatever that may be. And God, corporately, we cry out and we cry out, come Lord Jesus and fix this. End the suffering, end the pain. We cry out for those that we love and we care for and we pray for that don't know you and that you know them by name. God, we pray for them. We pray for their souls and we know that you died to save them. So God, would you please intervene in their hearts and their lives in some way, shape or form. And God, as we would look at our own Ebenezer's, as we put things up that we would remember who you are, not just who you are now, but who you have always been and who you will always be. And so God, as we partake of these elements of the body and the blood of Jesus, I pray that we would remember that this right here is an Ebenezer to remember what he did for us. And it is only because of the name of Jesus that I can boldly approach you and your throne of grace in our time of need. And so it is with his name, Jesus, that we pray, amen.